Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Dylan and welcome to the Dayspring Wesleyan Church Podcast. The best way to stay connected to the life of the church is downloading our app. Simply go to the App Store, search for Church Center, and download the app and enter the information for our church. This will connect you to our church community. I pray the following presentation will inspire you to come closer to God in this journey of faith. Enjoy listening. Listen, my if you my mind is I mean I may look kind of put together right now, but my mind is going 100 miles an hour if not more. There's so much going on right now with our kids stuff here at the church. You see these risers, no choirs coming up today, uh, but we had we have practice on Saturday morning yesterday for our Christmas musical, which is two Sundays away, and then that's on December 3rd, and then the Sunday after, on Sunday night at the 10th, we have Jingle Jam, and then we're getting ready for all the Christmas stuff, and that's just, that's just here at church, and then at home there's, kids, give me a Christmas list, we're running out of time, we've been asking them every day, uh, getting the decorations up, which my wife did my wife is not the same. Something's wrong with her. Can you please help me? We usually, it's a tradition. You don't listen to Christmas music, and you don't put up decorations till after Thanksgiving. Yes, that's, that's the rule. Is that in the Bible somewhere? And last week she said, I looked at the weather. It's looking pretty nasty. Go put the lights up now. And so, like, we're decorated for Christmas, and I am feeling really unholy right now. So... In my head, my mind is spinning, so I'm hoping to be able to calm myself down enough with this time here with you to clearly convey what God's been showing me this morning. And I think of all mornings to be able to share, this is like the perfect morning because 21 years ago today, this morning, almost to the hour now, I think. No, it was a long morning, so maybe a little later. 21 years ago today, I became a dad. And so... What we're talking about today isn't just fatherhood. It's talking about parenting. And, and it doesn't matter if you're mom or dad, grandma or grandpa, if you are going to be your mom or dad someday, want to be a mom or dad someday, or, or if you're just a person who's super invested in some kids in some context, nieces, nephews, students, God's Word is applicable to all people in all places at all times. So don't shut down just because we're talking about parenting. There is something in here for all of us. My world got rocked 21 years ago. Changed a lot of stuff. I stopped being so concerned about whether or not my shirt was cleaned. When I got puke on it, it became a badge of honor. So things changed, right? And then as my children kept growing, we're, we're up to four now, between 14 and 21 now, my goals for my kids have changed. It used to be, can you just learn to sleep through the night? That was a goal. Can you learn, learn how to walk? Learn how to be potty trained. And I want to honor my late mother-in-law today, who potty trained all my kids, which is, you know, <laughs> grandparents. What kind of great, what kind of mother-in-laws are you? You know, we went on a mission trip. We come back and our kids potty trained. It's like this miracle, right? Learn how to read by third grade, or else make the sports team. Get your pass your driver's test quick before your brother leaves, and we need another driver. Mm -hmm. Get a diploma. See, the goals kept changing, kept changing. And part of that's because my kids were changing, but part of it's because I've been changing. Parenting 
isn't just about God changing kids through you. Parenting is more times than not God changing you through the kids. That's some of the hardest lessons. So my goal now as a parent for the last 21 years is not the same goal for my kids as when I was a parent for a few months or even 10 years. Yes, there's these little goals, but if I could shrink it down to one ultimate goal, my goal is that my kids know Jesus. Not just know that he is, but know him intimately, that he, hey, there's a relationship for them. Not just knowledge that there was a Jesus, that he lived and died and rose again, but that, that Jesus wants to have an intimate relationship with them that changes them, not just in this life, but forever. That's what I want for my kids. And that's what I want for you all today. And I believe that in our lesson today, and I'm not teaching today. I'm going to tell you in just a bit. I'm not teaching today. Someone else is going to teach for us today. It's going to change us so that we can direct our kids right back to Jesus. So will you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer, Amen. Our mentor today is not me when it comes to parenting. Our mentor is Joshua. For those of you who may remember that name from the Bible just a little bit, this was the man who took over the reins of leading Israel from Moses when he died. He was the leader that took him into the promised land. You may know him most famously for this big epic battle between the people of Israel and this fortress city Jericho where instead of conquering it or knocking down the walls with catapults and some kind of military force, all they did was march around it, blow trumpets and yell, and God took down the wall. So he's been leading. He is now the patriarch of the whole nation. At this story we're going to read from today, he is 110 years old. All right? 110 years old. And he's nearing his death for the first time now. Remember, he led them into the promised land, but it wasn't just sitting there and they settled it and put their houses down, put their fields down. No, there were people living there. They had to clear out. They had to protect themselves. For the first time in almost 60 years of conquest, they are now at peace. There's no internal attacks coming and there's no external attacks coming. And so as he ends his life, he brings all the leaders together of Israel and all the people together of Israel and they sit down and they listen. He's giving them his, his final words before he's about to die a few, at the end of, the, of this chapter. So in chapter 24 is where we're reading from today. So if you have your Bible, open to chapter 24. It's going to be up here. I'm reading from the message today. If it's a little different than your version, that's why. If you want to follow along on the screen, you can listen to God's Word. And I want, to, I want to do something with you that I do with the kids every Sunday morning. I want them not just to learn about the Bible. I want them to learn what the Bible is and that they can trust it too. So when I stand before them every time I teach, I don't just get up there and tell a story. I read from the Bible. I want them to know that it is in there and it is life-giving. I'd ask them three questions. I say, this book is called the, and they respond by saying, Bible. And I say, and who speaks to us through the Bible? And they answer, God. And then I say, everything God says is true. So I want you to do that with me today, okay? This book is called the, who speaks to us through the Bible? And everything God says is 
All right, let's listen. This is God speaking through his servant, Joshua, Joshua 24. Joshua called together all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He called all the elders, chiefs, judges, and officers. They presented themselves before God. Then Joshua addressed all the people. Okay, now, real quick, I don't want you to get so lost and bored with this next part because you're going to hear some names and places that mean nothing to you and that's okay. I want you to actively listen to this next part because this is vital to what Joshua is trying to communicate to the people. This is, this is as much part of the message as the, the verse we're going to hit hard at the end because this is the story not of Israel's journey. It's the story of God loving Israel. So as I read I want you to do this. Anytime you hear or read something, some way God loved Israel, I just want your hand to go up. And I'm not going to stop each time. Make sure, did you hear it? Did you hear it? No, no, no. I want you to listen and see and eventually feel how tired your arm's going to be by listening to how loving this pursuing God has been, okay? And none of, none of this stuff, okay? This stuff. Loosen up a bit. Get that rotator cuff a little loose, Bill, okay? Here we go. This is what God, the God of Israel, says. A long time ago, your ancestors, Terah and his sons, Abraham and Nahor, lived in the east, east of the Euphrates River. They worshiped other gods. I took your ancestor Abram from the far side of the river. I led him over the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants. I gave him Isaac. Then, are you, am I the only one? Please tell me not, because I am getting tired already. And I use deodorant, so don't get worried. If you did, that's your fault, okay? Where was I? I gave him Isaac. Here we go. Then I gave him Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. I let Esau have the mountains of Seir as his own, but Jacob and his sons ended up in Egypt. I sent Moses and Aaron. I hit Egypt hard with the plagues and led you out of there. I got to turn the page. Give me a second here. I brought your ancestors out of Egypt. You came to the sea, the Egyptians, in hot pursuit with chariots and cavalry to the very edge of the Red Sea. Then they cried out for help to God. He put a cloud between you and the Egyptians and led them, let the sea loose on them. It drowned them. You watched the whole thing with your own eyes, what I did in Egypt. And then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the country of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan, and they fought you, but I fought for you, and you took their land. I destroyed them for you. Then Balak, son of Zippor, made his appearance. He was the king of Moab. He got ready to fight Israel by sending Balaam, son of Beor, to come and curse you, but I wouldn't listen to Balaam. He ended up blessing you over and over. I saved you from him. Is your arm tired yet? That's how good God is. Oh, you may want to turn your left hand now. You then crossed the Jordan, came to Jericho. The Jericho leaders ganged up on you, as well as the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and I turned them over to you. I sent the hornet ahead of you. And just so you know, I, have, I looked up, what is the hornet? And the word hornet also means fear. 
So instead of like this, this massive green hornet or something chasing these people, scaring them out, word got out about what God was doing in Israel. In some cases, it scared them so much, they just, they ran. And that's how they conquered some of the enemies. So if you're wondering what hornet is, I did the research. That's all I got, all right? So I sent the hornet ahead of you. It drove out the Amorite kings. Did your work for you. You didn't have to do a thing, not so much as raise a finger. I handed you a land for which you did not work, towns which you did not build. And here you are now living in them and eating from the vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. I wanted you to do that with me because I wanted you to feel how exhausting that can be, raising your hand, because I want you to sense how incredible God has been over the last four, 600 years pursuing the same people over and over and over and over and over and over. This is a God unlike any gods created or conceptualized by man. So then you can kind of hear him take a big pause. He just rattled off Israel's history. And then He's probably looking in his head and going through the story in his head, eyes closed, rattling off again and again and again. And then now it's Joshua's turn to speak and he looks at Israel and he gives them a challenge. It's our challenge today. Verse 14. So now, fear God. Worship him in total commitment. Get rid of the gods of your ancestors worshipped on the far side of the river, the Euphrates, and in Egypt. You worship God. I skipped something now. Yeah, no, I did. I'm good. Verse 15. If you decide that it's a bad thing to worship God, then choose a God you'd rather serve. And do it today. Choose one of the gods your ancestors worship from beyond, the, the, from the river country, no, sorry, from the country beyond the river, or one of the gods of the Amorites on whose land you're now living. All right. So he's challenging. He's putting before them this choice. Choose your God. After going through the whole history of God's faithfulness, he's putting to them a challenge. Choose your gods or choose your God. And it might be a little more complicated than what you think. I think I've shared in the past, my stomach shows it sometimes, I love to eat. I like to try new things. I do want to publicly apologize to my wife who is still feeling the consequences of this Indian restaurant we ate at down on Short North. She paid the price. I enjoyed it, but she was hurting for a while. Before we go to new restaurants, I always go online and I look at the menu. I want to see what they're offering to know what I'm getting into, to think, am I going to enjoy this or not? And every restaurant has diverse, not just things on their menu, but you ever notice the difference of the sizes of the menu? Yes? So when, when we get asked here in Western American society, well, choose, your, choose a God, choose your gods. Which one? The menu's kind of short. It's, it's kind of like a, a Raising Cane's menu. If you go to Raising Cane's, at chicken joint down just outside of Delaware, there's Oliver Columbus too. You basically go in and order one of two things. 
Do you want chicken fingers or a chicken finger sandwich? You laugh, but you know, yeah, there's, you get, you choose, do you want the slaw? Do you want the fries? Do you want the Texas toast? Do you want the Texas toast? And the sauce comes with it too. But really, those are just sides. It's just, do you want chicken fingers and how many? Or do you want chicken fingers on a bun? That's the menu. And they're making millions. Who knew? When it comes to asking our friends and family around here, choose a God, we think, okay, well, I've got the God of Jesus. There's Israel's God, same God, but no Jesus. You have the God of Islam, Allah. Those are kind of the three biggies. And then there's some of the sides ones too. There's Scientology, there's Hinduism, there's Buddhism, there's New Age stuff, there's Wicca. There's all kinds of little things, but those are kind of your big ones. We feel like the menu is simply one of those three. Chicken fingers, the three chicken fingers, five chicken fingers, or chicken finger sandwich. It's a whole lot different when Josh was asking them to choose their God. It's like going to the Cheesecake Factory. Oh, some of you just got hangry on me. 21 page menu, 250 plus items on the menu, counting all the different types of cheesecake they have that day. They have everything. You can get a steak or a salad or a soup, pizza or pasta. They have everything. If you're hungry, just go to Cheesecake Factory. It's not cheap, but you're going to find something to eat. That's how they approached choosing a God. They had gods for everything. Egypt had over 2,000 gods to pick from. And they're not just choosing from the Egyptian gods, they're choosing from the Amorite gods, the Amalekite gods, the Perizzite gods, the Canaanite gods, all the neighboring gods. And some of the people who are on their land who they didn't kill off and are still in their land have influence on them. Pick a god, pick any god. And it really worked like Cheesecake Factory. Whatever you feel like that day, whatever you need to fill your belly, they've got it. Maybe in a season of life, you're, oh, we just got done with the harvest, it's, it's good to see you back, by the way, after all that farming, you know. Is, is it, if it was a rough season, you, you worship the God of the harvest to get extra crops. Maybe you're going through a season financially, you're really struggling, you will worship the God of wealth. There is a Greek God of wealth. So that that God will honor you and give you the wealth that you need. Maybe during a season, you're relationally really struggling or you're just lonely, you pray and worship the God of love. And that God then takes care of you. Pick a problem. There's an item on the menu of this ancient Near Eastern God-selecting restaurant that you're in. So choose, choose your God. And And the more I thought then, I said, you know what? You take away the names, these weird names, these gods. You take away these shrines as you would bow down to or set candles in front of or flowers in front of or a little, you know, burnt offering in front of. You take away that concept. And it's really not a whole lot different than today than I really originally thought.
I'll get to that in a second. Let's look back at verse 15 again. Choose one of the gods of your ancestors that they worship from beyond the river country or one of the gods of the Amorites on whose land you're now living. And then he makes this major declaration. As for me and my family, we will worship God. Challenging them, choose your God or your gods. Joshua was saying, Essentially, by going through this whole story of this God they've been following, who, by the way, is the one God ever that has pursued people. All the other gods are pursuing power between them. That's how the stories go. They're always fighting each other. God's not fighting them because he knows he's the only one. And he knows he's more powerful than all of them. Choose your family. Choose, I family chooses God. He's saying it doesn't work that anyway. He's saying now that we follow this God, you don't need a different God for everything when you can follow the one God who does everything, right? God takes care of everything. All these different gods. Pick, pick 10 gods, he's saying, that can do what this God can. And it's not even close. Go ahead, take the whole slew, the pantheon of gods that the Egyptians followed, 2,000 of them. Good luck making all of them happy. This God's been chasing you. And he's given you everything that you need. Generally speaking, what is a God? A God is something that you, that you worship, that has power over humans and human fortunes. But get this. A God, boiling it down to something that makes more practical sense to us, is, is the first thing you follow, the thing that you follow first, you look to first, to fix. Because you believe he has the ultimate power to fix your problem. Follow me again. A God is whoever or whoever or whatever you look to first to fix something. Because you believe he or she or it has the power to solve what's sitting right there in front of you. And then you worship them to earn their favor. Here's where that menu that we are sitting at the table with right now in our society doesn't look a whole lot different than what Israel is being challenged with. Whatever you look to first to fix, that is your God. Your job can be your God. Or that lottery ticket can be your God if you look to them first to fix your financial issues and not Him. How do you worship your job? How many hours do you spend? How much anxiety do you have over your work? How often do you switch jobs to try to find one that pays you more and it pulls you away from spouse and family and Jesus? Or how much money do you spend a week on that lottery ticket or in a year on that lottery ticket versus how much do you spend on what you really need? Anything that defies age can be your God. Makeup, hair coloring, something to add hair, 
Haven't tried that yet. Fashion, procedures. Anything that helps you deal with the insecurity you feel about how you look, insecurity about how old you're getting, looking to them first and said, that can become your God. Sports can become your God. If you pursue it in such a way that you think it will fill the need of a scholarship, it'll fill your need of a kid feeling like he fits in. If you think it'll fill the need of you as a parent to feel like you're doing a great job as mom or dad. If you look to the sport first and look how much you spend financially and by time. And you'll know if you bow down to the God of sport. Sex can be a God. If you look to it first, sex in all its forms, if you look, whether it's just visual or, or acting out on it, if you look to it first to heal your marriage, if you look to it first to, to fill the void of loneliness, if you look to it first before God to fix before God, it becomes your God. And these are just, what, four or five in the pantheon of American gods that we worship. Do you believe, you know, family could be a god too? That seems like a weird idea. Well, I love family and God, yes. But if you look to family to give you worth as a parent, if you look to family to solve your problems of anxiety. If I can fix them, I'll stop being so anxious. If I serve them, I'll stop feeling so worthless. If you look to them first to fix, then family is your God. And don't you dare make your husband or your wife your God. The first to fix whatever you're dealing with, for you will be let down. I used to think the ancients were stupid to have all these different gods that they would pick from, but now I know that our culture is, dare I say, pretty polytheistic too, based on all the gods we pick from as well on a given day. So Joshua presents this anthology of God's power, protection, and provision as if to say, tell me who can do better. If you can find someone better, go ahead and pick them. But as for me and my house, we will worship God. He made the choice for him, and he made the choice for his family. Other translations say, as for me and my house, not just me and my family. When you, I say family, it has one connotation. It's like, who did I bring to church this morning? That's my family. But the word used in the Old Testament is house. Beit ab means something really different. House means your family, that, your nuclear family, but every generation beneath you. So Joshua, at 110 years old, don't know if his wife's still around or not, or frankly, how many wives he might have had at that point. 
He was responsible to provide and protect not only his wife and his kids, but also his grandkids and his great-grandkids. In 110, there might have been some great-greats and great-great-greats. He was responsible to provide and protect his house, all of them. It was not uncommon if in that time you were a nomadic group, if you had just moved around all the time, you would pick up your tents and as a family. That's why when Abraham left Ur of the Chaldeans and went down to Canaan, he took his wife, his servants, his kids, even his nephew Lot, because Lot's dad had died. And when that would be Abraham's brother. And so Abraham then was responsible to take his brother's family in as his house. That's why they all moved together. If they had a village, they'd have all their houses kind of built around each other, not just out of, not out of convenience, because they'd work together. They'd serve together. They'd teach their kids together. They'd eat together. It says in the Bible that they would take their families, their, their houses, into Jerusalem every year to celebrate Passover. Your family is far greater than those who are just in your house, in your physical building at a given time. So you as a parent are not just choosing God for you. You are choosing God for your family as well. They're not separate choices. Okay. You may think they would be. You may say, for my family I choose God, but you're dabbling with all these gods while you bring them to church. And you come to church, but you really have your own little pantheon of gods. One day it's the God of work. One day it's the God of love. One day it's this, because he's fixed my problems and, and God fixes my problems of feeling like I'm not good enough for my family, so I point them to Jesus. But children don't just learn from what you say, they learn from what you, help me, they don't just learn from what you say, they learn from what you, And if you are worshiping all these gods, they're probably going to start worshiping all these gods too. So the God you pick is also the God that your family is going to worship along with you. Choose for your family, choose for your house. So your grandparents, you understand why this matters too for you. There's Probably, maybe you have a kid or two that you're helping raise for your children. But some of your house is pretty empty, but you still have a house. Because parenting never ends. It's never done when your kids leave, am I right? It just is different. You, lo- you go from controlling your family to influencing your family. It's still parenting. It's just different. Well, how can I choose... God for my family if they're not even around anymore. Well, you can still model faithfulness. They ask you to come to their activity. You can say, I love you, but I'm going to go spend time with Jesus at church first. Then I'll be there. You just showed them you choose God. You can't control whether or not they pray, but when they're in your home, you can start every meal with prayer. Or if they spend the night, you can pray with them. You're choosing God for your family. You can make sure that those drugs, those drinks, those those words that maybe their parents speak have no place in your home. 
aunts, uncles, lover of people, lover of kids who have no children of your own, have your own, maybe plan to have kids of your own, maybe you have students. I know we got a lot of teachers in this room. Choose your God, and you're choosing it for your area of influence. You're choosing God for your classroom. You're choosing God for your office space. Choose God for your classroom by modeling a holy life. Choose God for your office by your ethics. Choose God for your assembly line by the words you speak. Choose God for your car by what you listen to. Choose your God and then you choose him for your house. I told you that my goals for family have changed. Back in my mind, I've always wanted Jesus to be part of their lives, and now that I'm losing control over my kids, not that they're bad, but just they're, they're, they're making their own, they got minds of their own now. It's crazy. I'm more of an influencer than a manipulator controller. And now I realize more than ever how important Jesus is for them. Now listen, I don't want you to pull out your boxing gloves right now and be punching yourself for everything you've done wrong. Remember I also said that God uses us to influence our kids to change our kids well God uses our kids to change us when I first had my kids I had no clue what I was doing sure you can read every book you want but until you're thrown into the fire you don't know how hot it is and so I'm learning and God's changing me that's the beauty of parenting God changes you through the process too So so don't beat yourself up. Moses, I mean, sorry, Joshua isn't talking to parents who are 18 to 30 years old having their first kids. He's talking to all of them. Choose this day. Who are you going to serve? Because it's not too late. And most importantly, I want you to listen to that verse again. As for me and my family, as for me and and my family. Say that with me. As for me and my family, you choose your fam for your family by who you choose first. You Joshua didn't choose God for his family first. He chose God for him first. As for me. And my family, we will serve the Lord. Every dream you have for your kids starts right here. Every dream you have for your marriage starts right here. Every dream you have. Grandkids, great-grandkids, nieces and nephews, folks, starts right here. Pray all you want for God to fix your kids. Pray God fixes you first. Start, start there. So really today, you're sitting at that restaurant. And Joshua's coming to your table too, hands you a menu. He's asking you, 
not you and your spouse, not you and your child. He's asking you, choose today. What do you want off the menu? Pick one thing. You can mess around with the sides, do a little this, a little that. Or pick the God who does and satisfies everything. You close your eyes for a bit. I want to give you a little bit of time in quiet. to think about this choice. It's not just a choice you make once. It's a choice that you make every day. Because every day you'll be faced with a new struggle, a new problem, and you have to decide, am I going to choose this God or choose this other idol, this God that doesn't exist, that will not solve my problems? Will I choose God first every day? Someone called discipleship, choosing Jesus every, saying yes to Jesus every day. We're just not good at it. So let me do this. God, on behalf of all your kids here, I pray for their families. I pray for those who just are aching for their kids aching for their grandkids, great-grandkids, name it, aching for their spouse to know you. Pray for those who aren't parents, but have kids that they serve, people that they serve, and they're aching for them to know Jesus too. We're going to trust you to take care of that. But now, God, help us to look at us. Here's what I'd like you to do. It's not a decision for you and your spouse. It's a decision for you. If in looking at the menu of all the gods, some I mentioned, some I haven't touched on, but you know what you're worshiping. If today you pick Jesus off the menu, raise your hand. Come down. If tomorrow... You want to pick Jesus off the menu, raise your hand. Every single day saying yes to Jesus. And by picking him as the one you serve, the one you worship, you are picking Jesus for your family. And you are letting him be the first you look to to come in and fix the brokenness you live in. Go ahead and look up at me. For you young families, I'm going to give you something you can go home with today and and try. And then I'll pray and we'll dismiss you all. It's an experiment. Because I know some of you in choosing Jesus for your family, you feel like, I don't know the Bible really well. I'm scared to pray in front of my kids. I, I get that. Weird. I'm a pastor. I, I struggle to pray alone with my wife sometimes. Not at the dinner table, just those intimate. 
it, it doesn't make sense. I get that struggle. So here's what I have for parents of kids. I'd say up to fifth grade or so. In two weeks, Advent season begins. I want to give you a way to choose God for your family. I have these Advent boxes, family Advent boxes. There's a table out there that Mr. Andy will be at first service. And then back here, if you're checking out little ones over here, Stephanie has them. And in this box, there's everything you need to take your kids through four weeks of Advent devotions. Not four weeks, four devotions over four weeks. So it's not like I missed a day. I got to catch, catch up 20 days. No, no, no. In this box, there's a little devotional book. Every day is two pages in pretty big type. So it's not a lot. Every day you read something out of the Bible with your kids. Every day you little little activity with your kids. And for those activities, everything you need is in a box. There's cookie cutters in the box. Something's coming with that. There's little ornaments you're going to get in the box. There's buttons in the box. There's construction paper already cut. Look through ahead of time. See if there's any supplies you need. There's not much you need to add. It's simple. It's right here for you. Take a box. Choose God for your kids. Choose God for your family this Advent season. So after service, over there, go to see Mr. Andy. All you got to do is tell him how many kids that you're working with, and he'll put in little ornaments for you too. You're going to need to make your own, fill your own ornaments. You see what I'm saying? This choosing God for your family doesn't mean God go home and build a pulpit and preach at him or something. Just a little conversation, a little space where God is the head of your house. You with me? Why don't you stand and I'll pray with you as you leave. And if you're, as you're with your eyes closed, as you're praying, if, if you're here with your spouse and you're comfortable doing this, I don't know where you're all at, I encourage you to take your spouse's hand. And we'll pray this together. God, it is our desire that you be God over our house. And every generation, you have charged us to influence. Help us to say yes to Jesus every day so that our kids are not confused. Our students are not confused. Our co-workers are not confused. Our spouse is not confused. As to which God we choose. So that they all might choose you too. God, begin with me. Help me to trust you more. Help me to trust you with everything. Amen. Have a great week. Pick up your boxes as you leave. If we run out, great. We'll have more next week because Advent's in two weeks. We're good to go. Thanks, guys. 
Thanks again for listening. If you are located in the Marion area, we would love to have you join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fantastic children and student ministries, please visit us at dayspringwesleyan.org. That's dayspringwesleyan.org.